0: Well, welcome this morning. It is great to see you all here. There's some exciting things that are going around. Um, it's just gonna. It's just a really cool day. And as Pastor Tim mentioned, we're looking forward to seeing hundreds of people coming into this place for this morning services, and then hundreds of people coming in this afternoon uh, from the community as we pass out backpacks and see some cool things that are going on. It's all because of Jesus Christ, though. And we are here to worship Jesus Christ. And we've been going through the past few weeks through a series in worship. Two weeks ago, Pastor Tim was preaching on worship by remembering. And then last week, we looked at, at worshiping as we listen and learn. And what it means to, to be able to walk through Scripture, to hear from God. And to be able to apply it and, and to make that a part of, uh, of daily life. We're continuing on and we're going to look today at, at, at worshiping as we talk with God. And, and, and what does that look like as we, as we worship in our, in our communication with God? Um, a few, really about a month ago, I was uh, reminded, I was going through my shelf in my office at, at home and, and was uh, rearranging. So I'd gotten some books and had been reading some things and came across a, a book that I hadn't uh, uh, read in quite a while. And it's called Valley of Vision. And it's a collection of Puritan prayers. And so it's a, a number of different uh, of the Puritans. Uh, that was kind of the, what, 17th through 19th century uh, men of God, preachers, some of them quite famous. Um, and it's a collection of their prayers. And they would actually sit down and they would write out these prayers. and And it's something that about a month ago I started just kind of reincorporating it in the morning as I sit down with a cup of coffee and my bible and just spend some time with the lord and then and then I would kind of read through kind of one of those prayers a day and I just love it because it is just rich in in doctrine uh just some it's just amazing as we see uh the uh, the relationship that these men had with the lord and and how they went about praying and it kind of I will read through that and then kind of just go right into some some time with the lord and Myself and and for me, I, I'm I'm one of those that uh, it helps to learn to do things by example, and so that's really what I want to look at this morning is is an example of prayer. Uh, where do we see prayer? And there's a great example of that in Psalm 86. And I encourage you, invite you, open up your Bibles to Psalm 86. It's real easy to find. Just open up your Bible about halfway through, and, and that should be Psalms, and 86 generally is right there. If you don't have a Bible, the ushers are going to make their way down, and uh, if you just slip up your hand, we'd love to get a Bible in your hands, and you can kind of follow along. Because what I would like to do is just to walk through Psalm 86, and this is a psalm, it says, uh, the heading at the top of it says, A Prayer of David. And to be real honest, I kind of was researching this the last couple of weeks, and and uh, we don't really know a whole lot about Psalm 86. Uh, I do know, it appears that it was one of his last psalms that David wrote that we have recorded in Scripture. Uh, that we find here in Psalm 86. And and he wrote it and it is a prayer that he that he wrote. And it's divided up into three sections. Uh, the first uh first through seven verses uh and then eight through thirteen and then fourteen through seventeen. And and so we're gonna kind of just walk through this Psalm and as we do just about every week here, we're just walk verse by verse, but but as we walk through we just kind of kind of read through the verse and and just as we were taught last week in studying the Bible, I just kind of want to take it and just kind of rephrase it, and just put it in our own um, wording, and I'm going to put it in my wording, and you do the same there, and try to understand what is it that David is communicating. And all of this, we're looking at the example of David's prayer, and how we can model that in our prayer life this coming week. And so, that's kind of the goal and mission this morning, as we walk through Psalm 86, and... If you're taking notes, um, you'll see the first point there is, please hear me, God. Trust a faithful God. We see a summary statement, please hear me, God. We're going to see that in the first seven verses. And then we see an an action statement there, trust a faithful God. Verse 1 of Psalm 86 says, Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. David starts off by saying, please listen to me, God. Really what he's saying is, I I need your help. Please listen and answer. I'm looking for some direction here. I mentioned a minute ago, we, we really don't know the situation specifically that David was going through when he wrote this psalm. There's some speculation, but none that really can be verified. But obviously David was... In the midst of turmoil, uh, David was under some attack, as we're going to see here later in in verses 14 and 15, and and we're going to see, and we know a little bit about David's life. It probably was later in his life, as he was having some problem, and his 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 kingdom was was under attack. But but he cries out to God, "Please hear me," he says. For I am poor and needy. We we see that he starts off in his communication with God with a statement of humility. A humble statement that I can't do it on my own. Do you ever feel that way? I am sure with a group this size that there are many that have walked in and you are right where David was when he wrote this. And you're saying there's a whole lot going on and there's so much that is out of my control and I need some help and I don't even know where to turn. And so what did David do? He cried out to God and he said, Look, Lord, I'm coming to you. I can't do it on my own. Verse 2, he says, Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. So he says, preserve preserve my life. He's saying, save me, protect me in what is going on. And then he makes this statement. And on one hand, it seems as if he just made this statement of humility. And then he says, for I am godly. And really in the context here, I don't think this was a a puffed up statement. This wasn't a, do you know how good I am type of a thing. But rather he's saying, look, I am one who follows after you, Lord. Well, he's not sinless at all. And we know from the life of David, he absolutely was not sinless. But yet we see the pattern of David's life was always to seek after God to the point that in uh, in the book of Acts, uh, Paul, that it's written that it says that he was a man after God's own heart. That he was one who followed after God. He says, for I am godly. I'm a follower of you. Please save your servant. Your servant who trusts in you? You are my God, and that's really where we get it. Where I get that first point of uh, of trusting a faithful God, because David starts right off with saying, "I need help, and I trust in you. You're the one that I'm going to at this time. In the midst of fear and uncertainty, he trusted God." Did you know, really, that's that's the answer to anxiety. I really feel the, the opposite of worry and anxiety is trust. Philippians 4.8, uh, Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. What, I'm anxious, so I go to a trustworthy, faithful God. We'll talk more about that in a minute. David continues in verse 3, he says, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Be gracious to me. Show me grace, Lord. Grace is is giving us undeserved merit or favor. It's giving us what we don't deserve. Uh, Generally, we think of grace, we think of a gift, the gift of grace. And, And he's saying, please be gracious to me, or literally just extend your grace to me. Extend Your grace to me, O Lord, for to You do I cry all the day. All throughout the day, I continually go back and forth and I'm continually going to You as I feel my need, as I feel the weight and the pressure of what's going on, I'm continually going right back to You. You're the One whom I'm trusting in in this. Verse 4, Gladden the soul of Your servant. For to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Gladden the soul of your servant. Or literally, to gladden means to make glad. Uh, To to bring joy. to, 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 To make me happy or joy or peace in the midst of this. What David is saying is he's not going anywhere else to look for joy and happiness in what was going on. He was only looking to God for that. And he wasn't just looking in a one-time shot, but he was continually going and looking to God for that. Gladden the soul of your servant. Again, the dependence that we see, the position of servanthood that David uh, was, was saying before the Lord. To you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Literally, he's saying, when we talking about the soul here, it's generally in, in this context, the soul is really talking more about the whole being of man. All that makes up the inner man is what he's saying. Look, Lord, you've got all of me. I'm lifting up all of me, my, my heart, my soul, my mind, my, my emotions, all that I am. I'm lifting it up to you and I'm going to you. You're the one that I'm trusting in in the midst of what's taking place. For to you, O Lord, verse 5, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call on you. For to you, O Lord, are good and forgiving and abounding in steadfast love. We see some descriptions, some, some things that he's ascribing to God. He says, you're a good God. If you look through the life of David, everything that happened to David was not good. As you think through what's going on in your life, truly we can't say everything is good, right? Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, everything is not good. (laughs) All right. Good. We're all on the same page here. Everything is not good. However, God is still good in the midst of whatever is taking place. We serve a good God. And let's be honest, sometimes in the midst of trials and in the midst of extreme difficulties, it's hard to see that. And sometimes we even question, how could a good God allow this to happen? But God is a good God. God has a plan and purpose in all that takes place. God is good, but not only that, God is forgiving. God is forgiving. God is always ready and anxious to forgive. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. No matter where we are or what we have done, we can always go to God and receive that forgiveness. With repentance comes forgiveness. God is a good God. He is a forgiving God. He's also abounding in steadfast love to all who call on Him he's also abounding it just keeps on going on and on and on in steadfast love it's that it's that faithful consistent constant love and god's saying i love you no matter what in the good and the bad i love you he loves us okay we love him because he loves us we do nothing to merit his love he loves us because he created us because He has plan and purpose, and it's all because of God that He loves us, and He is it's that faithful, consistent love that we can always go to that loving, good, and forgiving God. Abounding in steadfast love to those who call on Him. Do you want to know the steadfast love of God? then whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10 tells us. Call upon that as David is right here. Verse 6, Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. Again he says please give ear listen to me now. Uh, he kind of gives the idea give ear to my it's kind of will, will you please just listen in right now as i as i as i tell you what is going on. Please listen O Lord to my prayer. Listen to the plea for grace. I can't do it on my own and I'm asking Lord of you to do what I can't do. For that gift of grace. In the day of my trouble, verse 7, I call upon you, for you answer me. He ends this section with that solid, definitive statement. He says, in the day of my trouble, I call to you, for you answer me, because you will answer me. And we see the firm confidence, the trust that David has in God as he's walking through some of those darker days. So let me ask you. How are you doing in your trust with God? With whatever that is going on in your life right now. And as I look around. There's, there, there I'm sure is a myriad of issues. And even more concerns. Concerns that we're all facing. How is your trust with God going? Is God the one that we turn to trust or or maybe are we being distracted, getting sidetracked in some other ways? I tried I was thinking about that this week and I thought, so so what is it in my life and and what are the things that we sometimes um, turn to instead of God? I kind of made a list here. Here's six things that I think are, are, are at least fairly common that we turn to instead of God. Where do we go for our help and trust instead of God? Number one. I mentioned it before, worry. We we just worry about it. We take time and almost as if we set it aside. And anytime I think of worry, I think of the of the wringing the of hands. And we just kind of stew on it. Now let's be honest. Do we have any stewers here right now? Come on. Okay, there's a few of us that are willing to admit it. I am a stewer. I'm I'm a a worrier that way. I like to camouflage it a little bit. But when it just gets right down to it, it's just, if I just think about it and and just explore all the different things and just kind of be anxious about it, I feel like at least I'm doing something. And yet it's exactly not what God says to do about it. We stew over it. We worry over it. Number two, sometimes goes hand in hand with worry. You ready? Control. I will take control of everything around me. Sometimes that means we try to control whatever it is that we're worried about. And sometimes if that is something that we can't control, then we try to control everything else around us because we can't control that. And so we see worry, we see control. We try to just start bringing it in and saying, look, I'm, I'm feeling so vulnerable in the midst of whatever's going on that I'm going to try to control what's going on around me. Number three, uh, we turn to others. You have to help me. You have to meet my needs. Uh, maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's it's the leaders in the church or or, or somebody else. And, and so we say, look, I can't do it. And so, so we start looking for people to start meeting those needs and people to start protecting us and solving those problems. And I want to be careful because we're here to do life together. And absolutely, are we to hear, are we here to lock arms and to go hand in hand? But that locking arms and going hand in hand to come alongside each other should be the locking arms and going hand in hand as we go to God who's got the answers for our problems. And so be careful as we, as we look to control or we look to others to help us. Number four, pleasure or distractions. If I can just get busy doing other things, or because I'm so worried and upset and unhappy in this area, I'll just go find something else that brings pleasure in my life. And, and some, it kind of almost, I'll just kind of start medicating the situation. Sometimes literally medicating the situation, but other times we look for other pleasures or other distractions. Sometimes they can be very harmful and other times they can be relatively benign in and of themselves. But what it is, is a distraction that takes us away from our worship of God and our trust in God. So distractions are pleasures. Number five. This is one of our favorites here in America. Money. Money. Because so often we associate money with security. Security. And as I'm feeling insecure and whatever's going on, if I can just have that money in the bank account, if I can just have the the 401k or the whatever else, that as long as I'm okay and got plenty of money, I'll be all right because, you know, money can solve a lot of problems, is our thinking. And it doesn't mean that it's not good to be wise with your money. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be setting aside money for all of those things in and of itself. But sometimes that can be what takes us away from our trust in God. Number six. Number six is one of my favorites here. I trust my strengths and abilities. I can handle it. I don't know. I just. I always seem to be able to pull it out in the end. And it's going to be that way again. And I'll I'll just count on me. Can't count on anybody else. I can only count on myself. That, that, that kind of thinking. I'm sure there are others that you can come up with, but do any of these strike a nerve with you? Worry, control, going to others, pleasure, distractions, money, trusting in myself and my own abilities. What is it with you? Where do you sometimes seem to get tripped up What is it that distracts you from your trust in God? You know, there's a story that's told about a man uh, from a couple hundred years ago. And the man was walking down the road one day. and, And he had this huge... Just pack of things, his burden in which he was carrying up on his shoulders and it was almost as big as he was and he was struggling to walk down the road as he was carrying this big burden on his shoulders. And after, after lugging this down the road for quite some time, a wagon pulls up right beside him and the man in the wagon and this empty wagon stops and says, hey buddy, how, how you doing there? You, you need some help? Do you need a ride? And the man says, "Oh, that would be wonderful." He says that would be such a help and so he he takes his his bag and he crawls up into the seat there of that wagon and he sits down beside the guy and says, "Hey, I really appreciate this and and, he, and but he keeps his burden right there on his shoulder and the The driver of the wagon kind of starts to, to take off and he stops and he says uh, you, you know you can set that burden down you can put there's plenty of room in the back of the wagon and And the man said, look, hey, I I appreciate you giving me a ride. You've done so much. I I couldn't even begin to ask you to also carry my burden as well. As silly as that seems, (laughs) as he's sitting in the wagon and yet still trying to carry that burden, That don't we do that so often? God comes along and he says, look, I've got you. And yet we still keep this burden right there and and we think that we need to hang on to that instead of just setting it down and trusting God in the midst of it. So the question I have here is, what do you turn to? When things are going tough, what or who do you turn to? What's, What's tripping you up in trusting God? You got it? What is it this week that you need to sit down and turn your attention towards a faithful God? Number two. In the next section here in verse eight, we see number two, God, you're awesome. Worship God with thanks and praise. This section we see David saying, God, you're awesome in verse eight. He says, there is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. He says, there are none like you among the gods. And if you see in there, that's a little G God. It's all of the things that we go to worship instead of worshiping God. All of those little gods that we have in our life. And he says, look, nothing that we worship even pales in comparison to you, God. You are awesome in this, that there are none, nor, nor are there any works like yours. There's, there's nothing works or nothing that they do, these things that we worship, that can even compare to, to your works and what you do. Verse 9, all the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. He says, look, all of the nations will come. There will come a day when every knee will bow and tongue confess and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. If You see the the verb there, you see the shall, it's a future tense there. He says, look, they're going to come. There's going to be that point when all will worship you. Either out of gratitude or begrudgingly. that day will come verse 10 for you are great and do wondrous things you alone are God you are great and we see he's saying look you are great in character and you are great in action there is so much that we see that, that can that we can lift our praises to you Lord you are great and do wondrous things for you alone are God You are the only one worthy of worship. Is really what I think David's saying here. Verse 11, he says, So teach me Your way, O Lord, that I may walk in Your truth. Unite my heart to fear Your name. Teach me, O Lord, that I may walk in Your truth. Keep revealing what Your truth is so that I can follow after You, David says. And then he says he uses a, a, a very interesting term here. He says, Unite my heart to fear your name. The idea that David's giving, he's saying, Look, so often my heart is divided. He says, What that I fear your name. He's talking about his worship of God, his that that awe, that that wonder, that, that reverence towards God, the fear of God. He says, Look, so often my heart is divided. And, and while on one hand I want to worship you, on, on the other hand I get so distracted and so many other things. And, and so his prayer is, Lord, unite my heart. Make me singular focused so that all of me goes to worship of all of you. Is what David is, is, is saying here. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, and with my whole heart, I will glorify your name forever. Worship God with thanks and praise. This is what David is saying. I give thanks to you. I give thanks to you, not just In small ways, not just on occasion, he says, but with my whole heart, with my whole being, with all that I am. Worship the Lord with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. All of me, Lord, I'm giving thanks to you in my worship of you. For great is your steadfast love towards me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. For great is that faithful love, that ongoing, continuous love that he spoke of earlier. And it's not only that, it's not only that ongoing love, but it's that ongoing, faithful love for me. David says, I, and I can imagine David looking back and remembering all that God had brought him through to that point, And he just kept going back and saying, God was faithful in this. Time. God was faithful in this. God was faithful in this. God is faithful in this. That steadfast love. For you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. You have saved me from the pit of hell. Is literally what he's saying. He's saying, this is where I was headed. And you pulled me up and snatched me out of that. If, if you can carry me out of the depths of hell, if you can pull me out of that, then you for sure can handle the things that are going on in my life. And David can praise him in that. There's a lady named Barbara Ann Kipfer. Barbara Ann Kitfer began making a list of her favorite things when she was a teenager. And uh, uh, I, I was reading this week. She actually, she started as a, as a, as a mid-teen. She would start, she'd sit down and she'd keep this little spiral notebook with her. And as she went through the day, anything that came up that, that, that was one of those things, that, the favorite things or things that she was thankful for, she would jot it down in that spiral notebook. She would have that notebook with her when she was eating breakfast and she would jot down some things. When she was riding the bus in the morning, she would jot down some things. And all throughout the day, she kept that notebook and would jot down those things. After 20 years, Barbara Kiffer took those dozens of spiral notebooks and she put them together and they compiled them and published a book. It was published about 20 years ago. And the book's title was this, 14,000 Things to Be Happy About. Fourteen thousand things that she had written down in those little spiral notebooks. And I'm sure there were some repeats that had in there they had to edit through that, I'm sure. Let me ask you. Could you write that book? Could could you write that book? Is, is, is praise and thanksgiving just such a regular part of your day and your worship of your God that as you're going through the day, that, that whenever you see God at work in whatever He's doing or you see a blessing there, that, that, that you're, hey, thank you for that, Lord. Because that's really what David is talking about. He's saying, we see His need and, and His trust in God, but then He says, God, you're awesome. I'm going to worship You in my thanks and praise. That's going to be a regular part of my prayer to you, Lord. So how are you doing in your thankfulness? How are you doing in your praise statements? Does your prayer list look more like the list that you used to write to Santa Claus? You know, I want, I want, I want, I want, I need, I need, I need, I need. Or is it a statement of worship, of praise? You are, you have. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Number three. I need your help. Look to God for help and strength. David, the summary of this next section, I need your help The action statement, so look to God for help and strength. And where do we get that from? Verse 13, he says, oh God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life and they do not set you before them. Oh God, insolent men, God, I'm under attack. Ungodly, ruthless, merciful men are coming after me. These men, they, they they have no regard and no worship for you, Lord. These are ungodly, non-worshippers of God that are coming in. The attack that we see David was under was clearly from the outside, from others that were pressing in upon him. And they do not set you before them. They have no regard for God and the worship of God. But David says, verse 15, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Do you see what happens every time David is faced with a trial? Every time he's faced with a a statement of fear, it's almost the next phrase is what? I I know this, this scares me, Lord, I need help, but you are. And he starts listing through the character of God and things that, that he has seen exhibited in the character of God. Turn to me, well, I'm sorry, Uh, Lord, be merciful. You spare me from what I deserve. You spare me from the punishment that that I truly deserve. Be gracious to me. You give me what I don't deserve. And you shower those blessings on me. You are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You're patient. You're long-suffering with people. David knew the long-suffering of God, as God at times was patient with him. Slow to anger. Not quick to judgment, but slow to bring him back to himself. Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We see if there are five statements of the character of God. That David, in the midst of his fear, turns that fear to reflecting on how great God is. God's trustworthy. He's faithful. Verse 16, turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your servant, or give your strength to your servant and save your son of your maidservant. Turn to me, Lord, and be gracious to me. Please, again, extend that grace to me. Give your strength to your service. Look, Lord, I need help. I need strength at this time. I just don't think I can go through another day, another whatever in this situation. And I need your sustaining strength in this. You ever felt that way? You ever sometimes going through a really deep valley and you get to the end of the day and you reflect on everything that happened and you start scratching your head saying, I don't even know how I made it through all of that. It's God's sustaining strength. God says He gives you just enough grace for the day. Just what you need in that moment. That's what David's prayer is. Lord, give me that strength. Give me that help. And save the son of your maidservant. We see another, uh, another statement of, uh, of a need for help and protection and salvation. But also a statement of humility. The son of your maidservant. Just a servant that works in your house. A child of that. that I, I'm a lowly person. But yet, Lord, you're a faithful God. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame. Show me a sign of your favor. Lord, give me a sign so that I can see that, uh, that, that, you, uh, that you are involved in this situation. Show me a sign of your favor, and not only so that I can see it, but so that they can see it and that they would be put to shame by what's going to take place. Sometimes I think God takes us through things just to show off his glory. Just so as we're in the midst of it and totally out of control and can't fix it ourselves. And then God comes in and he fixes that problem and he saves a day. And we're all just scratching our heads and saying, that could only have been God. Look what God has done. Give me a sign so that they will see that because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted Now, it's interesting here because the first part of verse 17, it says, Show me a sign that those who hate me may see. Show me a sign so that they will see. And then we see the tense change here a little bit. Because you, Lord, have, past tense, have helped me and comforted me. What's David saying? David's saying, look, I'm asking for help and comfort and you are giving me help and comfort And saying, it's now completed. I am even feeling better right now in my trust in you, a faithful God. David turns to God for his help and no one else under attack. So wrapping this all together. So worship God by talking with Him. Praising Him thanking Him, asking Him, sharing your thoughts and feelings, letting Him direct your mind, your actions, looking to God for answers. The opposite of worry is trust. Trust God this week with whatever you've got going on. Tiffany and I, we were on vacation a week ago, and uh, we were down south kind of visiting family, kind of moving from spot to spot there, and we came back last weekend, we we popped in for the Sunday service and kind of extended our vacation into Monday and Tuesday, uh, because once I'd had my fun, she had a list of things for me to do. And one of those is we were laying wood floors upstairs. And so Monday consisted of my wife and I together on a wonderful date of laying wood floors. And not only that, because of time constraints, we kind of had run out of time with projects. She starts back school this week. And so we were feeling the pressure of things. And so she's painting the walls while I'm laying the floor. Okay, we tried to start at other ends, and you can imagine it actually, it actually worked out okay. There was only a few times where we met in the middle, and I said, "Look, you really need to, to move out of the way here because and, and, and then she looked at me and says, "No, you really need to move it." Well, anyway, we worked through that. One of the cool things though, as we worked together that day was we, we just we were just in the same room in the same vicinity for all of those hours. And we just were able to talk throughout the day. We kind of had this this conversation going on and sometimes the conversation of me calling off measurements so I could remember it before I went to the miter saw. But most of the time we talked about everything from trivial to even things of how our life and family is changing right now and some of the growing pains we're going through. We had this constant conversation. Here's your homework for the week. Here's my challenge to you. In light of Psalm 86, the challenge here is to have an ongoing conversation with God tomorrow. Take one day of the week, and Monday's a great day for that, and, and, and just take the whole day. When, when it says in First Thessalonians 5, um, it says 5.16, rejoice always. And it says, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Pray without ceasing. What's it talking about? It's saying that as you're going through life, you're going through life as if God is right there with you, just like a friend, and you're having this continual conversation that's going on throughout the day. Because guess what, guys? God is right there with you, just like a friend. And so to have that continual conversation, I I, I thought I'd give you some... some uh, some uh, some things to think about as you're having this conversation. And Monday would be a great day to do this. I, I was trying to think of a, of a great little reminder. Uh, I, sometimes we used to, you know, like, like tie a string around our finger or whatever else. Uh, I, I had another great idea. This is what I do when I want to absolutely not forget something. I write down whatever it is on a post-it note and I stick it on top of my cell phone. How many times a day do you look at your cell phone? And every time it's a reminder, what do you write down on there? Well, I, I list out in the acronym Talk." You can write these down. Number one: T: Tell him what you're thinking and feeling. As you're going through the day, it's that constant, Lord, you know, hey, this is what I'm thinking about this. This is what I'm feeling in this. It's this constant just, how's it going throughout the day? What are you thinking and feeling? It's the same way that Tiffany and I were having this conversation throughout the day last Monday. Tell him what you're thinking and feeling. Number two, ask him for help first and trust him. Whenever you're going through, where you might be at work, you might be in whatever situation, and the first thing that when you start to think, oh, what are we going to do about this? Ask God for help. It can be in the big things, but it can also be in the in the small daily things. Lord, what would you have me to do with this? Lord, what would you have me say to this person? Lord, I'm going to trust you in the midst of this. Ask him for help and trust him. L, look for God at work and praise him. Give thanks to God. Look for those times where you see God doing something, God at work in whatever situation, when there's something there that I can give thanks to God, that I can lift up my praise and say, Lord, wow, look at that. You are so awesome. Sometimes it's as simple as just seeing the creation around us, but look for those God at work times. Look for things in which we can praise and thank God. And then K. Okay, I I struggled with K. I couldn't come up with a good K word, but keep listening to God for answers and rely on Him. Keep listening to God for answers. Don't go to other places for the answers. Keep whatever is going on filtering it through. Lord, what would you have me do? What does your word say? Having that biblical worldview in every decision and situation of life and listening to God for answers and then saying, I am trusting you. I'm going to rely on you. Your homework, one day this week. Hopefully, after you get through that day, you'll realize, hey, I ought to be doing this all the time. But we'll start off with one day this week. Monday's a great day to start it. Talk to God. Tell Him what you're thinking and feeling. Ask Him for help. Listen. Look for God at work opportunities and, and keep listening to God and what He'd have you to do. And see if it doesn't radically change your worship of God in your prayer life. Let's pray.